Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Amen. Let me tell you about hope. Hope without a timeline. Bearing in mind the wonderful people of Haiti who can't get a break and just suffered another major earthquake, holding in our hearts the brave people of Afghanistan whose journey toward a fair government just took a major blow as the Taliban rolled into Kabul and now wonder how to govern a failed state. Holding in our prayers the heroic healthcare workers caring for a fourth wave of COVID patients, those who are ill and those who have died from the virus around the globe, holding whatever difficult journeys you walk with no end in sight. Perhaps it's a change you seek in your marriage or relationship, long sought financial relief, finally receiving good news on your diagnosis, recovery from addiction healing of a broken friendship, there is probably a struggle in your life, or a few struggles even, that you have wrestled with for a long time now. I want to invite you to call that struggle to mind. You know all the reasons why this journey is so difficult with destinations yet unknown. You have memorized the probabilities. You know why it feels challenging to see a hopeful end. And so naive as it surely sounds, let me tell you about hope without a timeline. Consider Admiral Jim Stockdale. He was the highest-ranking officer in the Hanoi Hilton POW camp during the height of the Vietnam War. Tortured 20 times during his eight years of solitary confinement, Stockdale survived with no prisoner's rights, no release date, and no assurance that he would ever see his family again. There were many others with him in Hanoi, including John McCain, who thought of him as a hero for his role organizing the POWs to resist their captors. And the ones who didn't survive were the optimists. And I realize that's a a confounding thing to say. The ones who didn't survive were the optimists. Really? They're the ones that couldn't survive Hanoi. Stockdale says, the optimists, oh, they were the ones who said, we're going to be up by Christmas. And Christmas would come. And Christmas would go. And then they would say, okay, well, then we're going to be up by Easter. And Easter would come. And Easter would go. And then Thanksgiving... And then it would be Christmas again, and they died of a broken heart. Remember, we're talking here about hope without a timeline. Stockdale says, you must maintain unwavering faith that you can and will prevail in the end, regardless of the difficulties, and at the same time, have the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality. As of his time in captivity, Stockdale says, I never lost faith in the end of the story. I never doubted not only would I get out, but also that I would prevail in the end and turn the experience into the defining event of my life, which, 
in retrospect, I would not trade. These two competing truths have become known as the Stockdale Paradox. You must confront the brutal facts of reality and maintain faith that you will prevail in the end. And further, you can't put a timeline on that hope, but you can't afford to lose it either. Jim Stockdale was released in 1973 at the end of the war. He lived to the ripe old age of 81, and he loved his family to the end. Now, I'm not saying that Jim Stockdale was Jesus, nor that his military philosophy was part of God's plan, nor that everything always works out for everyone, it clearly doesn't, nor that our hope is rooted specifically and only in other people's doing their work. But I do think that Stockdale is telling us something important about hope. And I'm going to turn it now, my words, not his, into a reflection on Christian hope which is to say that we have to face the brutal facts. We have to confront the reality of things as they are. We can't put a timeline on how or when things will change. And the other side of the paradox also holds, we can never afford to lose faith in our hope that God's grace-filled providence will prevail in the end. We can never afford to lose our hope even though we have no idea when our hope will be realized or even how it will be realized. When my dad was dying of cancer, we prayed for a miracle. We thought that miracle would be, or might be, a cure from cancer. But you know what it really was? It was the gift of hospice. The sacred eight weeks we shared where he was pain-free and cogent, and wonderful. And then he died. And we were ready for that. And that was the miracle. I know couples who have prayed for healing in their marriage. And and that healing came in the form of loving, respectful, mutually agreed upon divorce. And others who have found healing and have continued their marriages. And the point here is not to proclaim sort of a Santa Claus God, right, who grants her every wish, but rather to proclaim an eschatological hope, a hope that the inbreaking of God's just and merciful kingdom will transform the brutal facts of our reality. For I am about to create a new heaven and a new earth, God says in Isaiah 65, verse 17. The former things shall not be remembered nor come to mind. And I want to tell you that what God has done before, God can do again. Just think of our sacred stories. God helped Moses stare down Pharaoh and the slaves found freedom. God helped Amos proclaim, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. And those words inspired a young Baptist preacher to change the course of human history. Dr. King won the civil rights legislation that he, that he fought for with all the people that worked alongside him. And Jesus led, God led Jesus through the wilderness, showing us how to live and love, then to the cross and back from the empty tomb. And the radical power of that resurrection is that God's kingdom is on its way, which means that the world can change, which is to say that God can move in a mighty way 
through the power of the Holy Spirit and by God's grace, we are called, you and I are called to participate in God's mission of reconciliation and restoration, acting justly in God's name, humbly acknowledging that we will fall short and holding on to hope that God's love will overcome the ways of this old world. Remember, the optimists did not make it out of Hanoi. Optimism is when the braves are down in the bottom of the ninth and there's two out and we're down by four to the Yankees. Still thinking you might win that, right? But hope is a verb with its sleeves rolled up, unwilling to give in, working with God for a better world, and there are still no easy answers to life's persistent questions. No facile release from life's hardship. In today's gospel, the disciples are dropping like flies because Jesus' teaching has become harder. This text is John's first reference to the twelve, because before this text, there were a lot more than 12. <laughs> Beforehand, Jesus had a lot more followers, and these are the few that stay with him. So these few, these happy few, all but Judas, stay with Jesus. And I think this question of hope resonates in today's text. They follow Jesus for all sorts of reasons. I wonder if some of the bargain-hunting disciples were in it for a, a quick and easy healing or some inspiring words across town, or more likely in, in hopes that a warrior king would restore the kingdom of David, preferably by the end of the fiscal year. See, they were talking about hope on their timeline. But Jesus was talking about a very different kind of hope, on a very different kind of timeline, an eschatological hope that bears all things and believes all things and endures all things because it is nothing short of God's love. And the radical consequences that this love can have for the world, indeed it was this hope-filled love that becomes the abundant life promised in John's Gospel. And I'm not talking about a magical fairy tale kind of faith. I'm not talking about pie in the sky. I'm not talking about a free pony for every donor. You get a pony and you get a pony. I'm talking about the good life, the abundant life, one defined by self-emptying, canonic, self-sacrificial love for the sake of the world, the undying belief that I am because you are, that we are tied up in a single garment of destiny and the faith that this commitment held by self and others by God's grace, will change outcomes. Brutal facts be damned. So when Jesus offers Peter the chance to walk the other way, Peter realizes all the disciples who have already started walking. He says, Lord, to whom can we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. And so, my friends, I know you are walking difficult journeys. Some more than others, some now, some in the future, some in the past. And I know that you are hoping beyond hope for things to be so very different. And I cannot promise you when they will be, or even how they will be, but I can call on you never to lose your hope, never to lose your faith that they can be. In the end, 
I'm asking you to believe that God can make a difference in your life. For we serve a God of mercy and justice, compassion and sacred possibility. And we serve a God that calls us to grow into a mature faith, which is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. And so may we be a blessing to a world in desperate need of hope. Thanks be to God. Alleluia, alleluia, and amen.